Hello, welcome back to the Masonic Roundtable, a weekly program where Masons from around the world get together to talk about Masonic news and opinions in a friendly and social manner. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed here are solely the opinions of the participants and do not represent any Grand Lodge statements or positions. Make sure you keep your conversations open for the public and on the level, even you, Joe, to interact with us. You can send questions and comments to the Facebook event page. Um, while we're streaming live, hello Facebook land, and to YouTube land, hello and good evening to YouTube. Um, as always, if you can't catch us live, chat replays are fun, because you can see all the good conversations that happen that we can't get to, and of course you can always listen audio only on your favorite podcasting app. You know me, my name is John Ruark, I'm a past master of the Patriot Lodge, number 1957, in Fairfax, Virginia. And coming all the way live from the Grand Annual Communication of the Grand Lodge of Virginia is one, the only, Joe Martinez. Hey, Joe. Hello. <laughs> hey. It's a lot of Joe right in your face. Yes. <laughs> all Hello. the Joe. Joe Martinez. That's me. Um, let's see. I am still the Worshipful Master of Manassas Lodge number 182 in Manassas, Virginia. Uh, also a Mason in many other places. And uh, yeah, I am a voting delegate at our Grand Lodge. Yes, I get the magic okay. card. For so the explain first time that for ever. a second. Explain that for a second yeah. for those who don't know. So here in Virginia, uh, we're having our grand annual communication, right? So our annual meeting where we decide the things and, and do the things and elect new officers and whatnot. And here in Virginia, they still use a card balloting system. So anybody who's a delegate who can vote gets a card. And when they ask for people to vote on either a piece of legislation or on an officer or something like that, they will ask people to hold up their cards for yes or hold up their cards for no. Um, really super technologically advanced, but that is the way we do things here. Um, yeah, lots of other jurisdictions have electronic voting systems where you get little clickers like you do in the uh in congress um some people still use paper ballots where they still write things down so um everybody does it a little bit differently but um yeah i'm super jazzed to be this is my first time coming as a voting delegate so um yeah get to uh get to decide some things maybe or at least just get to wave my card around in the air so. mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting uh i think i want to say during my year that i was a voting delegate for my lodge um there was some you know, uh, what was it? Well, not what do you call them? Not amendments, proposition, resolutions, resolution. That's resolution. what it is. Oh. Was put oh. on the was put on the table, and I could have sworn that there were more cards held up for yay than nay, but the nays had it. So, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of actually counting instead of surveying the craft. But right. anyway, aside from that, next up for tonight's show, we have Robert Johnson. Hey, Robert. Yay! What's Ooh. up? Um, wow, yeah, those stupid cards. <laughs> Man, really, really pulls at my heartstrings, right? Like, how are you going to know if there's two-thirds? You don't know. They it's don't just know. like the sea of orange. They don't know. And when they got to go count manual ballots, who counts them? The Grand Lodge behind the curtain. Right, Nobody right. gets the Anyway, Robert Johnson, past Master Waukegan Lodge, 78, uh, advocate against injustice and transparency. Uh, Bring democracy back to Grand Lodge. Man, no way. Sounds like a current sitting secretary at uh, Space Novum Lodge, number 1183, the premier education lodge in the state of Illinois, and uh, happy to be with at least two of the other gents on this um wishing jason richards a speedy recovery yeah we yes, uh, get better soon yeah, we, uh, we he's still recovering from episode 400 we, we had a blast because here we are uh episode 401 uh celebrated our 400th again back in south carolina and uh north carolina south carolina where were we uh we were in north carolina we were in north carolina much, we didn't make it all the way to much south. different place than south yes. carolina yes <laughs> And so, yes, uh, we uh, we got a lot of a lot of fun stuff lined up for the, for the next four hundred. That's that's the cool part, right? We've uh, we've had some time to rest and, and reflect. The least of which being, um, we we always are in sync with our knights and squires of the show. So, um, if you are not a supporter of the show and want to chat with us in the off season, 
certainly head over to patreon.com slash the Masonic Roundtable. Chip a few bucks in. We can uh, nerd out about all sorts of Masonic stuff during the rest of the week in between these episodes. And uh, one of our, our knights or squires, uh, Michael West, I believe, said, hey, it's almost that time of year. He must already have his tree up because he wanted to know if we're doing the third annual secret Masonic Santa. And the answer is yes, we are. So um, we dropped the link with the, into the Knights and Squires. If you want to get set up early, we'll get a short URL by next week. So anyone can join. It's uh, You don't have to be a Knight or Squire. You can just be um, an awesome supporter of the show in any way you can. Send it to your friends. It's a fun time, and we love doing it because it's uh, it's just a good way to connect with brothers around the world, um, even when we're all also at a perpetual like- distance. It's it's like uh, you know I have I, I used to have this uh, this thing with a couple of my friends where you know you would buy something cool for each other and then when life gets crazy busy you just trade gift cards and it's like why the heck did we do that that's so stupid I got you a five dollar gift card too oh yeah like literally <laughs> me got once we exchanged fifty dollar gift cards to Best Buy like it was the same design even. <laughs> So the Elfster thing is really cool because you don't have any friggin' clue what you're going to get, and it's really cool. Like, you actually get something that uh, comes from somebody who is, uh, you know, thinking about you. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. In the last two years that we did it, I mean, I've gotten to meet and write letters and email and correspond with people that I had not spoken to before. Both of my previous uh, Secret Santas, I guess, were people i'd not met before so it was really fun and uh to to rj's point um i got some really awesome stuff that was uh um one year it was all handmade stuff i was like blown away by it i'm nice. like oh my god this brother actually made all this stuff and and sent it to me it was absolutely amazing so um yeah like john said even if you are not a patreon or a knight and squire um partake it's fun it's always fun giving gifts to other people um and making their day so do it mm-hmm do it do it so yeah so stay tuned to our do social it. media we'll send the link there um, and we'll get a short url for easy writing next week and so See. we're going to introduce a new topic a, a new part of the agenda because joe is making more noise than his rings right now <laughs> click a click yes we're we're going to choose a new topic this week uh called <laughs> the tarot <Terra, Terra> card <laughs> of the week my cool Couldn't shuffling that better. right there yeah I know, right? That was pretty good. Yeah, so we're gonna pick a, we're gonna draw a card, and uh, different people will be drawing a card each week. I'm gonna shuffle. We're gonna pretend this is the Price is Right, and pray that we don't get the tower. <laughs> yes. Right. No towers. No towers. Yeah. Big whammy. No, Why does no everybody towers, no freak towers. out about the I tower? I hate the tower. <laughs> because every time card. John, every time John draws it, it's a bad day for everybody. All right, <laughs> we ready? All right, we grab the go. top. There we go. There we go, and Card we have. Dun dun dun! You, you flipped it though. That was that was upside down. Are we call, we, never, we never called reverses or not? So let's go. All let's right. go upright. Let's go upright. All right, fine. Let's go upright. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> it's if you're watching right and you're into it, once. it's gonna be a good date. Yes. Good date. Has a lot of uh, potency like in that card. That's the king of manifestation, right? Yeah. Ace of Wands, you're yep. starting out on a new en- endeavor, new project, um, a lot of energy, a lot of potential, a lot of uh, uh, potentially sexual energy. Yeah, for, I mean, for that's, the, that's uh, always the joke. Yes. I'm, uh, it's always the I'm joke. hoping I not have... for that because I am at the Grand Lodge of the <laughs> so I'm not hoping any, some, any sexual some, energy whatsoever. Some Zero. Of, uh, some of these... Um, amazing uh ladies that uh, i converse with on tarot on uh, pretty regularly the joke is always like the three card spread for the next date and it'll be like it'll be like the three of pentacles the tower and the, <laughs> or there'll be like the three of pentacles ace of wands and the tower <laughs> and they're like oh my god it's gonna be the worst it's gonna be the worst date ever <laughs> yeah it's funny but anyway that was really cool yeah, that's great. What what deck were you using there, Joe? I'm using the Esotericon Gifted Ooh. OG 
Rider Weight tarot deck in a funky uh, Alibaba box, um, you know, because, you know, we didn't go authentic in our swag bags. So, uh, yeah, I think we got these on Alibaba. Um, they were, yeah, but, they yeah, were nice. Regular, they were nice. And, uh, everybody loved them. I keep them. I keep one in one of my travel bags. In each one of my travel bags, Terra will it. travel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if That's you guys right. Terra will travel. Seriously, keep it with you because you never know. You never know. No, that was fun. Never know. I have a gift idea for you, John. I think I'm just going to send it. Yeah. Put it on Elfster. Yeah. If <laughs> I just be a whole deck, a whole deck of Ace of Wands. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you need in your life. You you get an ace of wands. You get an ace of wands. Oh wait a minute! You know, like, what's really interesting is you are actually at Grand Lodge sessions, which is overwhelmingly masculine energy, Ex- right? Very very masculine, <laughs> masculine, masculine so, energy. Yes, like, you got it. That's the card right there, my man. The Great. cards don't lie. Great. Good stuff. I just realized I'm drinking right. out of the. Up, so I need to cover the cup when I drink. All right. Let's get to this week's topic then. This has been good. Um, we're now switching back to some history, some ritual, some uh, biblical influence. We're going to s- speak on the character of Zerubbabel. Now, Zerubbabel, very influential in the building of the temple. But wait, you may not have heard his name used in the Blue Lodge degrees because... It wasn't the first temple. It was the building of the second temple. So the second temple of Jerusalem, and uh, which is why you see his Almost name. Almost like so, 1.5, right? Yeah, yeah. you know, there, there was maybe some gap years. They were on a there's break. A, there's yeah. a really cool nuance here that I'm excited to get into mm-hmm. later. But Yeah. I can't Ooh. wait. I can't wait. Ooh. And so uh, let's start off with the biblical account of like who is this this person? Where are they found in the Bible? Um, and kind of what's what's said about him you know, from the from the actual source text before we get into the mythology of the Masonic version of Zerubbabel. Joe, start us off. Hello. All right. So let's talk about Zerubbabel. So Zerubbabel um, is a biblical figure found in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible whichever your flavor is, he was um, at a very high level. He was a governor during the first Persian Empire's rule over that entire uh, area of the world. And uh, they were the, uh, they were at that time, they were known as the Achaemenid Empire, right? Um, This is the same empire that spawned Xerxes, which you saw in the movie 300 with Zack Snyder, you know, very beautiful, large 10 foot tall, dude with jewelry all over his face um yeah same same people nose rings galore um same peoples so this was actually uh strangely enough the first persian empire was the largest empire that the world had ever seen um it went all the way from egypt to the indus valley um and as north as you could go so um it was it was only around for about 200 years um and it disappeared when alexander the great uh decided that he wanted that land instead of the Persians. So he took it from them quite easily. So that's who those people were. So Zerubbabel was a, a governor or a prefect of a small province that included the kingdom of Judah, um, which at the time was no longer in existence, right? You had the city of Jerusalem, um, both Judah and Israel, both of those two nations that split. Uh, if you know your Bible, um, they split and one was destroyed earlier. And the last one was destroyed by the uh babylonian king nebuchadnezzar mm-hmm. right so that's what prompted um according to you know both historical sources and biblical narrative that's what prompted many many thousands upon thousands of jews being led to captivity in the land of babylon gotcha so they're still um, so there, in there was, the babylonian exile at this point when he's born absolutely correct yes yes mm-hmm. he was born in in fact the name zerubbabel right. um, if you look at the hebrew that means uh, sown from Babel uh, or Babylon. Mm-hmm. You know, that is the right. traditional name from it. So was it this person's actual name? Don't know. But, um, you know, his name does have a, a meaning that ties him to being coming from uh, the land of Babylon. So right. um, that's who this person was. So the other interesting thing is that even though he was a governor or, a, you know, moderately influential political figure uh, in somebody else's country, 
he was also descended of the line of King David. Okay. So he was of the Davidic line. Um, so he definitely had kingly blood, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's a big never. deal in the Bible, right? If you're, if you're checking the Very whole so. arc throughout the, the old and new Testament, it's like bloodline of, uh, David, you're, you're, uh, you're set for life. You are on the right track. Well, he got hosed a little bit, right? Because there was no oh, yeah. kingdom by the time he was born, right? So there was no there was no place for him to rule. So mm-hmm. um, you know, he was just a a governor. Um, and his name even means so, like prince of something, right? Uh, so the name in Hebrew, I mean, uh, what I researched was um, that's going to bother me. Prince of Judah, son, because son Babel. Um, right, because he's also referenced as uh, Shezbazar in Ez, in the Book of Ezra. So they think it's one and the same, or is it a title, or is it the, Two the, the, the nephew of someone? So it's it's very confusing, but but yes, not um, Zerubbabel, but Shezbazar is actually the 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 name means Prince of Judah. So again, that's right. back to the holy bloodline, a royal bloodline. Sorry, and um, again, with high expectations that he would have, he would rule as king. But to your point, didn't really happen. You don't you don't see that happen. It doesn't show up, which is yeah. kind of a letdown. It becomes right, right like it, it looks as if it's biblical scholars look at it and think, well, technically he's probably just a governor, uh, if if anything. And then what also is really kind of interesting about the the whole thing is like recently I was. Um, Really stoked. We had illustrious brother Steve Harrison come out to our lodge, and he did this great presentation on uh, the three Tyrians. Now, of course, the, the three Tyrians, and he went over their escape routes, right? And it was really kind of cool. It was a historical look at really what this, this journey entails. And one of the things that we learned about was that at least in King Solomon's time, so of course the rubble is like much later, not way later, but enough, that uh, the land of Judah is not necessarily, uh, I mean, biblically it's a part of the land, but historically it's the whole region. So I wonder, uh, I, I'll throw this to Joe just because I know this is part of a lot of the things that you've been studying. Um, do you see... Is that still true in like the time of Zerubbabel, do you know? And it's okay to say you haven't gone that far, right? No, so that's a great point. And so let's go back. Now, Now, in the grand scheme of things, for these people, 500 years is kind of a long time, right? Oh, that's yeah. multiple generations upon generations, right? It's not like us that, you know, our life expectancy is closer to 80. Um, you have lots of generations of people between the time of Solomon and Zerubbabel, right? So um, it, it, it is a good historical length of time. But to your point, going back to the first temple period, and that's what we'll start using, first temple and second temple, right? Um, during the time of the first temple, where craft masonry pulls a lot of its allegories from, there is, um, you're absolutely right. You know, if you look at a map and look at the land of Tyre, um, it is sitting in the map space of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? So <laughs> um, it's like, okay, well, who owned that part of the world? Was it King Hiram of Tyre or was it King Solomon? You know what I mean? So there's a lot of gray area there, um, as well as the other historical places that you were talking about, you know, the journey of the Tyrians. Um, it's a really, if you actually put them out on a map, it's an interesting little journey there, you know? Um, but to your point, so if we're going to the first Persian empire, um, there is no Israel, there is no Judah. Those places do not exist anymore, right? They've been completely overrun by the um, uh, by the first Persian Empire, you still have the city of Jerusalem, and which which we learn about in some Masonic degrees, there are still Jews that lived there even after the time of the the Babylonian captivity. There were still people there that never left, that were never taken as slaves, and continued to live as a people, but they were no longer a kingdom. To your point, yeah, and I think it's uh, again from a timeline perspective, right? So King Solomon's temple was from about the what 10th century BCE, right? And then was... Um, Early 10th century, yeah. Right, was destroyed in what, 587, 586 BCE. Okay, yep. so, I mean, so it's lasted for 500 years, and then it gets it gets destroyed by um, the Neo-Babylonian Empire. And then, like, right about that time is when Zerubbabel's born, 
And so you have this little gap period between the two temples. I, I, for whatever reason, not knowing my history, I thought it was a much longer period between the two temples, but it was really only about what, 20 years or something like that before eh, 20, 30 years before the, uh, the second temple started to be built. And, and that's an interesting side note. As we start to get to some of these, and this is what I, I find fascinating about this, this type of history is that as you get to some of these biblical figures that show up in extra biblical sources, you know, like in Babylonian texts or in Persian documents and things like that, Apocrypha. the time frames are really small. You know, they're, they're not big time frames. You know, we're outside of the time of legend, you know, where you have right, people right. that are more archetypes than actual people. You know, people like Zerubbabel, the people that came after, you know, the Hasmoneans, things like that. As we start to get closer to the time of the Romans, they're real people. They existed, you know, because they show up outside of the Hebrew Bible, you know. Um, so it's very likely that they were real people and not just, again, going to like the time of Genesis so, and things like that, where it's more. Are you telling me, are you telling me that like the older we get, there's a likelihood of the character not being real and just being a representation of an idea or a thing? Uh, number one, I hate you. And number two, um, these are my personal opinions and well, my personal opinions alone. So thank you for getting so, me in trouble. But, yeah. but if you go back through, so a, a, a generic, uh, brushstroke is fair to say that the older back in time you go and the less corroborating sources you have, the more likelihood that you're talking about archetypal figures as opposed to yeah. actual people that lived and died in a certain These are, these are moral stories, right? So you want the characters in, this, in the moral story to exhibit these characteristics or be these archetypes, like you said, uh, that, that fulfill a specific message, right? So, um, and this, it, was the, this was the way they did this, it's too. All, I mean, it was like, always the way they did it, exactly. Historically speaking, the story conveyed a value which was much more important than whether or not the people existed or the thing actually well, happened. Well, look at the way the Synoptic Gospels were written, too, right? It's the same events told very differently because of the, the message of the author. To get a different point across. Yes, to all the things. But um, yes, so great. We skated out of that one unscathed. I love it. Um, but yeah, to, to your point, um, uh, getting back to Zerubbabel. Um, so again, there is corroborating evidence for, for his existence. Now, was that his name? We don't know, right? But his name definitely has meaning. Um, and we can use that meaning to impart moral lessons, uh, especially when we get into the Masonic context. So, But let's get back to him. He was of the line of David, never became king because there was no kingdom, right? Um, and nor really is there ever again, right? Even when we get to the time of the Herods and stuff like that, you know, the kingdom of Israel is, is basically gone by now. Right. And, uh, it doesn't come back. So, um, so his grandfather was, I think was like the second to last King of Judah. Um, and then there was one more King after that. And then you had the Babylonians and then the Babylonians got taken over by the Persians. So now we're living in a Persian empire, right. And Zerubbabel and all the tens of thousands of Jews that lived in captivity, grew up in a Babylonian slash Persian society, right? Um, and again, these are, remember, you got to think about the generations. Like we consider a generation 20 years. So you had at least three full generations of people that all they knew was Babylon, right? Babylon and Persia. So now where he shows up, he shows up in quite a few places in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, whichever you're looking at. Um, but not to the detail that we would think, you know, for such an important figure, um, He's referenced quite a few times, but there's only one or two places where it's really fleshed out who he was and what he did. Um, so we have, you know, uh, some of the prophetic books like the book of Haggai and the book of Zechariah. They make mention of who Zerubbabel was. Um, and he's usually, um, and this is where we start to get into some of the really important Jewish history. He's always meant, almost always mentioned with Joshua. Um so you have your right. king and your high priest, and you start to see this traveling pair along. But more times than not, he's mentioned not just by himself, but with, with Joshua. BFFs. Um, BFFs forever. Love it. Mm -hmm. um, so then, then we get to the book of Ezra, which is canonical in most, most uh, sources, um, where he's actually 
makes that journey out of Babylon in back to Jerusalem and starts to work on the on the second temple, right? So that's where we get one of the more comprehensive stories. Um, he's mentioned once in the book of uh, Nehemiah. Uh, he's mentioned in First Chronicles, and this is where it gets super interesting when we're talking about uh, lineages and things like that. So there is a lineage that goes back all the way to the first kings of Israel um, that includes a rebel, um, but it's different than the lineages we have for Jesus in both Matthew and Luke. Um, so for those who are Christian or read the Christian Bible, um, Luke and Matthew both start with the genealogies of Jesus, right? Uh, Zerubbabel is in both of them. But Zerubbabel and Matthew and Luke have different parents and different children. So he's inserted in different places. And it's also different than what we find in the Hebrew Bible um, where his lineage is. So, so that's a, that's so a fun rabbit hole to go down. Because if you ever it try is, to look so. at genealogy in the Bible, oh, just just do some YouTube searches to see people who have tried to draw these elaborate um, family trees and try to explain the differences between them. It's it's fascinating. So, yeah, just I think that's well, just another little rabbit hole for research for people to go down. So this is another you know this is another great plug for you know what spend the nineteen ninety nine and go to ancestry.com. You know don't. Don't try to do it on your own because it's going to be wrong, you know, especially in a thousand years. Pay the money, send your DNA, you know, Ancestry.com is not sponsoring the show. But, uh, <laughs> you know, leave it, to, leave it to the experts. Don't do it on your own because it'll That's get funny. fudgy. So, yes. Um, but, yeah, so let's get back to um, where he shows up in text. Now, the most interesting place he shows up in text, which is where a lot of Masonic degrees actually pull their, their legends from, is actually in one of my favorite words to say apocryphal or non-canonical text yeah nice. super interesting so there are stories look at rj smiling he likes when i say that um so there is a book of scripture known as first esdras okay that shows up in the septuagint okay it's in the greek septuagint which was the greek translation of the bible uh during the time of the reign of alexander the great or you know when the, the ptolemies took over egypt um they brought a whole bunch of jewish scribes to the land of uh, the city of alexandria and they said Write the Bible. Write it for us so we can read it because we love to read, but just in Greek, not in Hebrew. So they did. And uh, so that is, uh, you know, one of the more comprehensive translations of the Hebrew Bible was done in Greek. And there is a book in that Bible known as First Esdras. Now, First Esdras does not exist in most of your Western Christian Bibles. Um, it's considered apocryphal or non-canonical. Uh, one place where it does show up is in the Ethiopic Bible. So in the African, you know, the African land of Ethiopia, right, where, which yeah. got their own stream of Christianity, much different than the West did, than Greece that or Rome. still has the Ark of the else. Covenant, by the way. They, they have the Ark of the Covenant. It's V1. on the History Channel. Yep. yep. The His, History Channel. Um, yeah. But uh, First Esdras has this really complex story about Zerubbabel and the king at the time, Darius, Darius I. And the stories uh, known uh, historically as the tale of the three guardsmen or the contest of Darius. Um, and again, not to spoil any Masonic degrees, this is where basically it's a contest between some advisors of King Darius um, asking uh, which one is strongest. And the, the original three choices are women, wine, and king. So which of these three is strongest? So it's a contest. It's like a philosophical contest. And, and they, they all have basically good, re good responses opinion, to all of those great yeah. responses. And they feed off each other. And then Zerubbabel comes in at the end and just razzle dazzles them with the right answer, um, which is none of those three. Boom! So, um, but, but again, it's a, what I find super interesting is that we pull a lot of stuff from this book that is again, not considered Canon in most of the faith systems that Freemasonry started in, you know? So kudos to them for stepping outside their comfort zone and pulling stuff from places that are, are interesting. So that historically is who Zerubbabel was. So then he, uh, while governor, it takes on the responsibility, right, of rebuilding the temple or building, starting to build Temple Two, the second temple, right during this time frame. And you know, the people wonder, like, well, what's going on, like historically? And, and some people say, well, because there's other fighting going on, he kind of uses it as like a pet project on the side, because like, who's going to bother him if he's going to, you know, there's other things to worry about. So he's he's taking this on as a project. And so, 
he becomes this character associated with the piety, with the um, the, the bloodline, and 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 the uh, the uh, the rank of of governor to start this project, and by therefore starting the building of the temple again must be uh, blessed by God, right? In fact, I think there's another little story about the uh, the signet ring, which is interesting too. Um, where in, in in the book of Haggai, where it, it said that in this day, say the Lord of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet, like a signet ring, like a, like a ring, for I've chosen thee, say the, saith the Lord of hosts. And so everyone's like, what's with the rings? Like, is, is he, the Lord is saying, I'm going to take you as a ring. Okay, now we're getting to like the metaphor land, and so a lot of scholarship is done around this this quote because who wears rings? Like you know the priests and 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 the um, and, and Joe, lots of rings, and so Shablam. as a metaphor, right? Um, you know, as a metaphor, God wants to wear Zerubbabel like a ring. Exactly, that he he is. But- inspired but it's a signet ring it's not just a ring you know like joe goes on etsy and buys some rings it's a signet (laughs) ring and 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 what is the signet ring it's it's your family crest it's your ring that identifies you as a person within a family line right Mm -hmm. so it has a very specific meaning we could probably have a whole show just on that alone the symbolism of that but um yeah so he does say that and uh it's pretty explicit what type of ring he needs to be Right. So that, I mean, so that's either way you look at it, it's like, he's got God's blessing as he's going forward and, and, and leading the building of the second temple. Now, which is interesting because there's really not a lot of detail about what he actually did other than he was kind of in charge. That's it. The Bible doesn't go any more detail about anything specifically that he did, but was there during the, during the construction of the second temple. And again, was, was God's like go-to guy. So yeah, there there's two specific things that they talk about in in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, and those two are that he led the first wave of um, exiles back into Jerusalem, right? And they have a specific number there. I think it's like forty two thousand something. Um, I don't know it offhand, but he returns them to Jerusalem. But again, there's people living there. There's people that have lived three whole generations not knowing who the hell these weirdos are from Babylon and their weird language and their weird earrings and nose rings and all that stuff, you know, um, because everybody looks like a Zack Snyder movie at this point in time. And um, it wasn't an easy like, hey, you know, it wasn't like Moses, you know, showing up to the border of the promised land and saying, hey, we're going to build a temple here or a tabernacle. No, he had to actually argue with people. Um, They're like, hey, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm coming to rebuild the temple. And they're like, we don't want a temple. Like, we're fine. We're good. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't need it. So, you know, there was a lot of that going around. But the second place where he's mentioned is that him and Joshua actually built and consecrated the altar of the Lord. So they did get far enough that they built an altar within the confines of the temple in order to do what they do best and sacrifice and pray. Right. So. So, RJ, I, t- talk about this other little gap thing that you wanted to talk about, this 1.5. Right, right. So what's interesting is uh, the history of the temple over time. But uh, going back to Zerubbabel, you know, after he gives the king, King Darius, this awesome answer, um, he imbues him with, you know, kind of like a a warrant to, to go and to travel and to go back to the land and to build this temple and start, you know, at least in legend. And so he's, he's building this temple, and uh, along the way, as Joe points out, he says that uh, uh, he's got the right to do this. Um, they don't know necessarily historically if he did, but, but maybe he's thinking Darius is just so caught up in everything else, he can just get away with it. Um, and then, or maybe he does have a warrant to do this, and while he's doing it, Samaritans or like people who aren't them, right, come over and they say, "Hey, we'll we'll help you," and actually, uh, Zerubbabel's like, "No, you can't do it. It has to be only us." And so they're kind of like maybe offended by this, and so they start spreading rumors um, that uh, Zerubbabel is um, actually building fortifications and walls. 
and they get these rumors back to Darius. He's got to be up to no good. He's got to be up to no good. And then Darius is like, what the heck? But regarding the temple, is uh, it, it, it's really supposed to be that... He, so the first temple, which is like major magnificent or whatever, right? And we all know it's mostly, it's a smaller temple with a huge courtyards and, and all of this great stuff. Um, and, and then... Yeah, right. <laughs> and then uh, what happens is you get the... Uh, how do you want to say it? Like they start to build this second temple that that he's building, and then later on Herod takes over and builds on top of that. So it's really pretty interesting. He's like it's like Temple One Point Five, and they say it takes twenty years, and maybe there's a fifteen year gap between the starting of building right. the temple and then uh, not like, and then and then actually getting back to it. So. Uh, there's a lot of delay, and there's a lot of, um, I don't know what you would call it, like tribal espionage going on. But also, um, as, as uh, Zerubbabel is really trying to keep, keep the building of this thing, like, uh, sanctimonious, you know, by, by only allowing the chosen people to rebuild it. Um, and so, yeah, I just find it fascinating. You know, so it's really like the first temple, which really is kind of the second, because you have the temple and uh, the, the tabernacle in the wilderness first. Right. Then you've got the temple. Then you've got this one that Zerubbabel helps with, and then you've got, uh, of course, Herod's temple, which is then raised in like seventy C.E. I'll see your half uh, temple and and raise you, you one more, because <laughs> what happened to the artifacts? in the destruction of the first temple so there, there are back to Babylon. well there are some theories that that a uh temporary temple was set up to house some of the artifacts like kind of nearby around the spot right so you know it well so they had to stay there or there was you know there's some activity going on in that 20 30 year period so yeah well to to that point and going back to what what robert was talking about let's let's talk about that that uh, piece you mentioned about the Samaritans is hyper important, right? Because we hear, you know, uh, most people who are Christians, they hear the word Samaritan, they think of the couple of stories in the New Testament, um, and that's it. But who were these people? These people were basically Israelites that were left behind after the Babylonian captivity, right? So these are people oh, who it was a subset, subset, yeah, they came from uh, certain northern tribes out of the 12 tribes, right? And um, for the most part, they uh, had this nature about them that they're like, well, we're the true Israelite religion because you guys went to Babylon and you got bamboozled by, you know, fancy clothes and nose rings and all this stuff. And, but so we're like the OG stuff and you guys are, are players and fakers and stuff like that. And um, that animosity exists for hundreds upon hundreds of years, right? Like it's this like, you know, when you get into the stories in, in the in the Gospels about the Samaritans, they're treated with scorn and disdain, right? Like, um, the Jews and the Samaritans do not mix with one another, you know, um, until me, JC comes along and says, hey, everybody get along. But Help me out with something, uh, and this is going to be more historical, and this is a real question, not a plant question. <laughs> I, I, I often thanks, wonder how many people thanks. watching. <laughs> I often wonder, you know, like how many people watching go, does RG have these set up to just ask Joe? Cause he's like, yeah, yes. yeah, no, I don't. Uh, these are legit <laughs> questions. So my question is, um, given some of these couple degrees in Freemasonry, right? Like there's the one where of course the rubble bowl answers this question. Um, and then, you know, maybe a follow-up episode to what we could do here is to talk about another Scottish right degree where we have another, um, a piece where, uh, Daniel interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar, and he's also tempted with the treasures, right? This is why I started thinking about it, because, John, you mentioned the treasures, the candlesticks, um, and the Ark of the Covenant is one of these, you know, and all this gold. Right. Help me um, remember, what happened first? Did Daniel interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the Babylonian king? And then, like, travel out 
and come back with with with, with uh, some juice from captivity or is that only Zerubbabel who did this? I'm having a hard time remembering. Um, so Daniel was early on in the Babylonian captivity, right? He was one of the exilees. He was taken from Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, right? And, uh, you know, thrown in jail multiple times because he doesn't, uh, you know, uh, change who he prays to and things like that or, or pray in the way that they want. Um, so he is given the gift of prophecy and he does use it to, um, uh, you know, interpret dreams and things like that. And when, you know, uh, Nebuchadnezzar II, um, who's not an awesome dude, right? He's a bad guy. He's not a great guy. You know, right. um, he's not one of those, he's not one of those anti-hero people. He's a bad dude. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the bulk of the stories of Daniel are, that is your prototypical best example of apocalyptic literature, right? Like all the stuff that Daniel that shows up in the book of Daniel is pure apocalyptic literature. Mm -hmm. And it's written around the time when this, this once proud group of people chosen by God basically got their asses kicked, right? And got all their land taken away and all their holy relics are stolen. Um, and they're basically down to nothing and they go and be slaves. And, um, so yeah, so it's early, early on in the, um, uh, captivity. Now, it's not fleshed out in the Bible what happens to Daniel at the end, but they do mention his tomb. Um, so if you look at the dates of when Nebuchadnezzar reigned and the things that Daniel supposedly did, it does bleed into the time of the Persian Empire, right? Um, so Daniel was most likely alive when the transition came between Babylon uh, was taken over by Persia. So and his references to his tomb. And I think if you look up somewhere, you can find where his tomb actually is. I think it's in the city of Susa. Um, but we don't know exactly what happened to him according to biblical sources. But to answer your question, he was early on. Um, Zerubbabel okay. came much later. And he was born in Persia um, as opposed to Daniel, who was in exile. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Let's fast forward to masonry now. So we've, we've got this, the long assorted history of Zerubbabel. And when you're using an allegory of King Solomon's temple to be the foundation of the Blue Lodge degrees, and then therefore have the sequel include the rebuilding of the temple, right? In the appendant bodies, you're going to see Zerubbabel show up, uh, you know, spoiler alert for those uh, who haven't joined the Scottish Rite or York Rite. Yes. Zerubbabel shows up in both of those. Because they at least each have different uh, um, different versions of the story of the rebuilding of the temple. Yeah, I mean the York Rite just ripped it off from Scottish Rite. Well, you know, there's oh. details, details. <laughs> Pike would would agree with you on that one. Um, so, in fact, uh, you see Zerubbabel as the character show up with some speaking parts in different degrees to include, but not be uh, limited to, the Royal Arch degree. The illustrious Order of the Red Cross, the Order of the Night Masons, and the 15th degree and 16th degree of the Ancient and Accepted Scottish Rite. So again, this is right after the uh, 14th degree, which is a really special Scottish Rite degree. Y'all get is that illustrious which, Red Cross degree? I don't, I don't know that one. That's in uh, uh, Knights Templar. I th is it? I the thought it was Order like the Red Cross. Uh, yeah. Ross, like that's the first one you get. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is it? Wow, I don't remember that. Well, we'll teach we'll teach you offline. We'll, lose, we'll lose some more degrees for you. There you go. Um, I want to take up the rest of the time we're talking about. No, let's let's talk about that degree. <laughs> I want that one. So just yeah, I mean just to segue into that and and help refresh Robert's memory. So you end the Royal Arch system of degrees with Zerubbabel, right? Um, he shows up in the Royal Arch degree, and that degree talks about the rebuilding of the Second Temple, and that's where yep. a lot of a lot of stuff from first Esdras, um, you know, the names of people and stuff like that, you, you get from there and you don't get it from other parts of, of canonical scripture. All Ezra then all the time. All Ezra all the time. I'm not going to read anything else. Anyway, so then we then we transition to, um, you know, after you become a Royal Archmason, then they, you know, most places will slip in the cryptic degrees where you go back to the time of Hiram, right? Um, because, you know, we can't do anything linearly. We have to just skip around a lot. 
And then, so then you get a little bit more Hiram there and then you're done with that. And then you move into the Knights Templar degree and the Red Cro the Order of the Red Cross, it's not a degree, it's an order, um, goes back to the time of Zerubbabel. So we transition out of the time of Jewish captivity and we start to move more towards uh, you know, the rise of Roman Christianity, you know, and you start to do that as you travel through the orders of Knights Templar. But um, that order of Red Cross degree is all about the story that's in, found in First Esdras, which is the, the, the contest of Darius um, and its result. So, which is interesting because, uh, you know, um, obviously Pike has given speaking, speaking parts to Zerubbabel, yet, but yet in Morals and Dogma, really doesn't mention Zerubbabel well, at all, you know, even though it's even though it's a, a main character in the 15th and 16th degree. And so um, what I what I find fascinating about how does this translate Masonically is um, what is Zerubbabel supposed to represent? Because remember, we're not supposed to confuse the symbol for the thing it represents. And um, here in in the scottish right and the york right i think there's a there was a good summary from uh rex hutchins in the bridge to light which is kind of the summary of morals and dogma to which he says and i, and I, I think it's a really good summary of the spirit of zerubbabel which is to the mason zerubbabel is the type of leader who perseveres encourages the disinherited cheers the timid incites the indolent forces the apathetic and reluctant and has incorruptible fidelity to honor and duty. And truth. Truth is a big thing for Zerubbabel. really is. Um, and uh, Brother Anderson went further when um, writing the Constitutions of Freemasons to refer to Zerubbabel as the, quote, General Master Mason of the Jews. Oh, Anderson. Anderson likes to stir the pot a little bit, but but there it is. So, um, again, it's not so much the historic biblical literal version of Zerubbabel. It, it's now, it's now converted to this mythology in, in the Masonic context of what does it mean to be a leader of the rebuilding of a temple? And what is that? What virtues does that, um, extol? It, there's there's a bit too that I think is important that I included in the show art, right? And I don't know people who have, may have remembered it or whatever, but there's a bit about the sword and the trowel. And so the whole bit about the sword and the trowel is really what sticks out to me um, in a Masonic context. Um, Zerubbabel for me is more of a a vehicle, a vehicle to which you can give these lessons and put them on there so that you can watch it happen, right? And this whole thing about the sword and the trowel was that Zerubbabel is said to have told these people to always have a sword and trowel so that you can build with one hand while defending with the other. <clears throat> and this really has some interesting connotations, I think, when you think about the overarching nature of, in particular, the Scottish Rite. Uh, when you look at the Scottish Rite, whether northern or southern jurisdiction, there is this overarching theme of, uh, you know, um, uh, like being part of, of the civic nature of freedom and to build up, um, you know, the country and to be strong and to defend the things. And it is interesting to note that perhaps when these were written, you know, I, I don't know if exactly um, Pike is thinking about this, but certainly think about how this could have been seen coming out of, say, the Civil War, right? To build with one hand and yet defend with the other and how, how this might all mix together. But I, I tend to see it even today in almost a, in not a, a political arena, but in a civic arena that you are about building up men while defending the freedoms that we have and that we've, that we've continued to, uh, to build uh, so that they don't get destroyed by, you know, those, those three Tyrians of fanaticism and, you know, so on and so forth. But uh, just well, some observation. No, that was, I mean, that I want to go, I want to go run around with the flag and just punch people in this hotel lobby right now. You got me all hard charged, man. but, um, this is no, Sparta. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm going to watch some Zack Snyder when we're done and, uh, and embarrass myself. No, but you you kind of touched on something that that really piqued my curiosity. It's it's a much different lesson to tell than um, than the old adage of turning your swords into plowshares, right? It's like you got to do you got to be ready to do both at the same time, right? And you got to continue to be that type of person that can do both, right? I can either create or defend if needed. It's not you know, that, that old adage of sorted to plowshares is, Hey, I'm done doing my thing. I'm going to go be a farmer now. And you know, that way of life is, is done as opposed to what you're saying, Robert, and unless I'm putting words in your mouth, it's no, you have to be the type of person that can do both. And that is a, it's a civic duty, um, right. of all good men. It kind of reminds me there's, there's a couple phrases that I'm going to just do a horrible job of reassembling, which basically says something about being a peaceful man means that it's not that you are pacifist. It's that you have the ability to be um, violent, but you are choosing, right, to to be peaceful. And so, it's it's having the ability, right? It's the warrior monk. It's it's you know being able to go out in the garden, but be ready to kill if if called upon at war. So, it's balancing both of those. And that's I mean that's an interesting trait. I mean just to just to step back and go meta for a second, right? That is an interesting archetype for you know a a man in in the 21st century to try to be able to hold too is that uh to be a master of all domains right so to be able to write poetry to run to have a garden and be physically fit uh be able to defend yourself and your your property and you know just be able to balance that those two uh seemingly opposite polarities the warrior poet man you know that was a motif in in many many uh different peoples across time you know it wasn't i mean let's bring my favorite mason in the world george washington i mean you know he he, many quotes of us obviously og favorite he had cool aprons um you know he had numerous quotes talking about that you know things like to be prepared for war one of the most effective ways is to preserve peace you know to be prepared for war um or in time of peace prepare for war things like that von clauschwitz you know all the great thinkers of uh military strategy always had that mentality about them Uh, sun tzu you know many quotes that that ring similar to what you're talking about so it's not absolutely it's not something that just you know pike came up with um you know in the in the 1800s it's it's a it's a long-standing truth absolutely yes all right, let's get to the final question. And so this one's going to be an easy one. What is your favorite aspect or characteristic of Zerubbabel as it's portrayed throughout history and mythology? And we'll start with Robert Johnson. I hate you. <laughs> no one likes to follow Robert. <clears throat> no one does. Everybody hates Mostly because I... I've, I'm farting most of the time. And then if you're behind me, it's just not a good... Don't go in an elevator with Robert. Um, no, you know... While you guys were talking about this, I, I just have to mention it. Maybe I'm, you know, I'm pulling strings here, but I think, you know, uh, whatever. Let's use my imagination. Uh, the, the whole story of, of Zerubbabel is really interesting because when you started talking about him as like coming out of nowhere and seemingly disappears into nowhere, uh, there are some... There are some thoughts that maybe he dies in a skirmish uh, against the uh, the Persians or the Babylonians again, um, or perhaps he. Uh, I think they said that in the in the in the Hebrew scriptures he is assumed to have gone back to Babylon and passed there. Um, but just the way he like comes in out of nowhere and then is just granted this he's God's signet ring, right? It reminded me of uh, of the rise of Skywalker, like all of a sudden, Ray is like, "I'm Skywalker," <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't. It was just it was just bizarre. Anyway, so favorite aspects of Zerubbabel, I think it's just I just like this. I like the the motif of the sword and trowel. You can you can f- finger shake at me. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's just where my mind went, because I'm goofy. But anyway, uh, I just like this idea of the sword and trowel, because I, 
as you guys were talking about it, there has never been a time in history where, you know, peace doesn't last forever. There's always going to be a despot who's born. There's always going to be somebody ready to tear it down. And the people need to be able to understand their ability to uh, build and to defend. And it's a constant uh, thing, right? Like, when you think about it in terms of the legal system and how we do, we, we battle every day for civics, right? Like every day you have uh, people that you've elected to office to represent your values and they are going to war. And when they are uh, meeting in the middle, potentially they have defended something and yet are building a relationship right to to take one step forward instead of uh, you know maybe they're taking three steps forward and one step back a little compromise or something but that's the way I see it I think I look at it as an allegory for for uh, modern civics and, and political um, you know movements uh, but I rather enjoy the story and uh, I hope we do uh, another one of these in the future and I'd love to do Daniel and talk about uh, the dreams nice we're going to be a viral oh, channel after this. And, and I have to say, the last thing I, I'll mention is uh, I got I to gotta plug Double Eagle Con, November, tw uh, November 19th, 2022. I got five new coming to the Valley of Chicago and uh, all-day event. Um, really great uh, speakers. I'm excited uh, for everybody. But um, Robert William Marshall's got one called uh, Pelicans Woo. and Bazaar, which just sounds like an insane title for a presentation so anyway uh tickets are 50 bucks and it's all day you get breakfast and lunch and uh you know you'll be out of there by five six o'clock at night go home and tuck your kids in bed so it's a good saturday i hope to see you guys there nice awesome thank you over to you joe favorite aspect of Zerubbabel. Well, not his appearance in Star Wars, as Robert was talking about. That is, is not my favorite. Um, Zerubbabel Skywalker. Zerubbabel Skywalker. <laughs> everybody's, a, everybody's a damn Skywalker by the end of that movie. Um, no. So the, um, the thing I like about him is I'm actually going to take a little piece of what Robert said because it was a great idea. But – you know, he is this archetypal figure. Um, he is uh, essentially a lost king, right? And we, we gloss over that fact. You know, he uh, is of the line of David and Solomon and all these kings um, who reigned through the kingdom of Israel. Um, you know, then it split off and then, you know, they got captured by Nebuchadnezzar. And so he basically was this this king in exile, right? And I think the early scribes of, of the Hebrew Bible understood that and made it so that you could at least understand that, that this person really was someone of import um, who basically got a raw deal, um, but he gets to at least fulfill a, a piece of his story and gets to go rebuild, you know, the temple that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I've always found that an interesting aspect. And then obviously the contest of Darius is that that's just a fantastic story. Um, with a whole lot of moral lessons for people. So those are my two favorite things. Nice. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Which is cool because we all have a different you know, facet that we're looking at, at this character through. And for me, I really like the sense of duty, right? That, um, again, he had this um, responsibility, right? As governor, as uh, being part of that bloodline. And so good things were destined for him. And yet, you know, he had the sense of obligation of duty to his people to kind of rebuild in this transition period, right. Where they're, if you're coming back from egg, exile and I really like that, um, that archetype of the, as a leader, right. Uh, that his, his job is to rebuild it. And, and leadership is hard when you are picking up the pieces, right. It's, it's very easy to lead when things are going great um, there's a lot of transitioning that was was going on at this time frame for him in in, in this period of history, and so um, what you what you don't hear through you know while you're trying to pick up where he's interspersed with throughout the different uh, books of the Bible, you know is this this character this person who actually has to unify 
a nation has to unify people who are trying to get back home and, and rebuild. And I think that's just a, it's an interesting uh, character that we should you know aspire towards to, to emulate. So that's, that's what I like the most out of Zerubbabel and you know, what he brings for the, uh, you know, again, the further light that you get in masonry of, of after you've accomplished working on your temple, what's next. So that's, that's what I got. And I appreciate uh, getting back to the swing of things, seeing you all. You guys are awesome. Joe, have a fun time at the Grand Annual Communications. And look with your little happy orange card, I know you're excited. Go vote! Go vote! Democracy rocks. All right, so, hey. I want to thank you guys very much for watching, and keep searching for more light. Have a good night. Wow.